This is the word of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire. And then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces be, uh, beyond the, the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah." And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them. And because of this, the good hand of my God was on me. And then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. And when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, when they heard about what I was doing, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Today we continue in this wonderful study of the book of Nehemiah. The title of the series that we're in is Rebuilding Our Faith in God. And today's message, the title is God's Way is Readiness. God's Way is Readiness. We look at chapter 10, 1 through 10. And last week we looked closely at chapter 1 and the prayer that Nehemiah prayed after hearing from the people of his homeland that the walls had been completely decimated and that the people were vulnerable to the enemy. Nehemiah's prayer follows many of the great prayers in the Bible in that it's a worship-based prayer. We talked a lot last week about prayer as an act of worship. A worship-based prayer is a unique prayer. It is a prayer that is very practical. It's a prayer that is extremely powerful. And the reason for that is because you are making God the center of that prayer, the worship of God. Usually what happens when we pray is we immediately turn to our, 
our checklist of things that we want to bring before God. We have a request list. We have a, a, a shopping list, so to speak. And prayer becomes more about us than it is about him. And yet the Bible holds so many examples of great prayers where the emphasis of the prayer, the beginning of the prayer, did not start with man and his request. It started with who God is, how great God is. And I see that uh, in Nehemiah's prayer. He started his prayer with reverence. He focused on the Lord. He looked up. He didn't look inside. He didn't look down. He didn't look around. He looked up to God. And I want to take you to another prayer that's much like the prayer Nehemiah prayed. I want you to see that this idea of worship-based prayer is not some kind of a man-made, thought-up thing that might be good for a season of your life. This is not that way at all. This is a way that you and I can practically come before God and worship Him. And at the same time, request of Him help and favor. And so 2 Chronicles, take your Bible, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, and I'll set it up for you. We're going to pick it up at verse 13. 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And we'll pick it up again at verse 13, okay? So in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 13, it says, Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and five cubits high, and had set it in the court, and he stood on it. Solomon is the king that followed David. Solomon is the one who built the temple. Interestingly enough, David wanted to build the temple for God, a house for God to live in. But God said, your hands are bloodied. You've been a, you've been a warrior. You've bloodied your hands in war. Therefore, you are not going to build my temple. But I'll let your son build my temple. So David, knowing as he got to the end of his life that God was not going to give him the opportunity to build the temple, instead of, instead of taking his marbles and going home upset with God, David chose to now go into full-fledged fundraising for the temple. He spent the rest of his life not only giving of his own treasury, but calling the people of God, the Israelites, to give for God's purposes for the building of the temple. So that when Solomon became king, he had the resources needed in order to build the temple. And so what we see in this story is, is Solomon has now completed the building of the temple. And he's having a dedication service. And he's going to begin this service, so he builds this platform that he can stand on in front of the people. And so in front of the people, he builds this. And then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who work, who walk before you with all their heart. He starts this prayer, and what does he start with? He starts by remembering who God is and reminding the people who God is. He starts by worshiping God. Prayer is a form of worship of God. 
And if you read through chapter 6 and then you come into chapter 7, he actually begins to call out in chapter 6 these scenarios where the people are going to fall short, God, of the covenant that you've asked of them. They're going to fall short, but if they will repent of their sin and they'll return to you, will you then bless them? And he goes through a series. If you look at this, it's just it's pretty, pretty powerful when you look at it. He goes through a series of these situations that he creates. Look at verse 23. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and he comes and, and takes uh, an oath before your, your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, punishing the wicked by bringing his way on his, mind, on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. And then he goes another one. If your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you. And, and he goes on and on, and it's just loaded. Verse 28, if there is a famine in the land, if there, there is pestilence, if there is a blight or mildew, if there is locust or grasshoppers, if their enemies besiege them in the land uh, because, of their, because of their sins. He's, he's interceding. He starts with God, how awesome God is, worshiping God, and then he begins to remind God of the promise that he gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you and I want you to walk in the commandments that I've given you. But what if your people fall short, God? Solomon's interceding and each time he ends it with, Lord, will you forgive them? Will you? And finally, you come down to chapter 7. I mean, a whole chapter on intercession. And then you come to chapter 7 in uh, 2 Chronicles. And of course, what we know well, let's look at verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, so he gave up this intercessory prayer. It started with worship. It went into response. We learned that last week. Our response. We look up to God for worship. We look inward and down for our response. What is our response to a holy God? That we're not holy. That we're sinful. Every day we fall short of the glory of God. And so we come before God confessing our sins. That's what he was doing for the people. And then we move over into requests, Father, because we now have a pure heart before you. This is our request, that God, you would bless this temple, that you would actually, your presence would rest in this temple that we've built for you. And then it ends up with readiness. Readiness to see what God is going to do, how God is going to move, that we might join him in it. And we come to chapter 7 here, and it says, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. They offered up sacrifice and offerings, sin offerings, because they recognized their sinfulness. And God consumed the sacrifice. It was acceptable in his eyes. He was willing to forgive. And it says the priest could not enter because all of a sudden this thing takes place. God just hits the place with this fire. And then the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house 
bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly, he is good. Truly, his loving kindness is everlasting. I, I was posed the question this week by someone, why don't we ever hold a revival at our church? My, my simple answer is, how do you hold a revival? A revival that is truly led of the Spirit of God cannot be contained by a date and a time of a service. When God shows up, truly shows up, man is undone. In this situation, this fire comes, God's presence comes, and immediately they have one response, not to hold revival. Their response is to fall prostrate on the ground before holy God. When God truly shows up, you can't control it. It's no longer in man's hands to control. And I see so many today who are lighting their spiritual Bic lighter to get the Holy Spirit moving. He doesn't need our help. The Holy Spirit moves as he chooses, when he chooses. I long for revival, but I want it to be led by the Spirit and not by Greg Simsera. Long to see us come into a deep confession of sin and a move of God in our hearts where we rise up and we say to the Lord, send me, use me. And this is what happens here. The, these folks are completely overtaken by the presence of God. And then you go down to verse 14, the famous verse that each of you know so well. And, and now he responds to Solomon who requested that God's presence would be in the temple. And he prayed this long, chapter-long prayer. And now the, the, the celebration's over, the dedication has ended. Solomon now is by himself. He's alone. And look what happens as he is alone. It says in verse 11, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night. You see, not everything that God does is in the public's eye. I think we like that. We want that. We want people to see that God is with us and we can publicly reveal that, look, look at the presence of God. Sometimes it is the presence of God and sometimes it's not. It's the work of man's hands. But I promise you, if you're sincere and you're asking, God will come to you. The scripture says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of God is against those who do evil. So God is very much inclined to listen and to respond when our hearts are right. When we are lining our prayer up with his will, with his character, with his nature. And we're truly saying, Holy Spirit, you have your way. We're not asking you to bless what we're doing. We're asking, Lord, would you please allow us to join you in what you're doing? We know that God will bless what he's doing. Amen? He's not so quick to bless what we want. But he is quick to bless what he's doing. 
And so he's in this quiet place, and it says in verse 12, The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up, and now he responds to what he was praying about all the people and their sinfulness. Would you still, if they ask forgiveness, would you? And he says, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, all these things that you prayed, Solomon. And listen to what he says in verse 14. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves in light of their sinfulness, but they humble themselves. They confess their sin. They repent. He says, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. This is a great model of a worship-based prayer. It begins with God and it ends with God. And in the middle, we get a chance to share our requests, but only after we have looked at our heart and we've seen the deception of our own heart and we've humbled up and we've asked God to forgive us of our sinfulness. Because now as we go into our requests, we're more in line with God in what we ask. It's not just me and my foolishness asking for whatever I think I want, which is very selfish at times. I mean, I know my heart and I'm a selfish person. I don't know your heart, but you do, if you're honest. The Holy Spirit has convicted you of things. And, and we're just not quick to turn to God. We're quick to turn to us. The most precious name in all the world, the most precious name in all the world is not Jesus. It's your name. You never pipe up more than when your name is given. That's how much we're focused on self. And so to be truly broken by God and to come to a place where, where we, we surrender our life and we die to flesh, that we might live in God by the Holy Spirit, only then do we begin to approach God in his work and what he wants done. I want to tell you that this has been a really difficult season in our life of our church. And, and, and I got to tell you, I expected it. I expected it because here we are about to embark on this wonderful opportunity to have a home, a place that we can call our own, that we can literally, uh, in, the spirit, in the spirit realm, we can make a lighthouse to this community what does a lighthouse do? It shines a very bright beam, intense beam out. Why? So that others from far away can see it and be guided towards something that is safe and secure. A place where they can receive provision and care. We're about to get an opportunity to have that lighthouse effect on this county, on this on these people that live in this region. I'm excited about that. And there's so many things I want to talk to you about of what we can do. I mean, I am like chomping at the bit to do a Thanksgiving dinner next year. Not this. Some, I love the faith of some of you. You said, 
preacher, are we going to be in that building in time for Thanksgiving so we can have a Thanksgiving dinner? I said, oh, I love you. I, your, your heart and my heart are one. But no, not this year. But we want to reach out to the community, a community that is disenfranchised on a day when people should come together and give thanks to God. They have no one to come together with. I'm not talking about Christians, but there are lonely Christians too. We're just talking about people and to provide a home-cooked meal in a warm setting with people who truly care and love on a day that they are making a sacrifice to not just spend time with their own family, but to come and serve others and to love them with Jesus' love. What a special blessing that is for us. I, I, some of you know the story. The first time we ever did a Thanksgiving dinner, uh, a gentleman showed, we're, there were 500 people that showed up. We thought we were going to be feeding the homeless. That Really, that's how we started. We thought, let's feed the homeless. Um, very few homeless came. You know why? Because there's other organizations in our community that were doing a great job feeding the homeless on Thanksgiving Day. That's a good thing. But we did get a lot of people that day. One of the men was in his 80s, very distinguished, tall man who was sitting there, and he was alone, but there was a family, a mother and her two children sitting at the same round top. They didn't know each other, but they started conversation. I went over and sat down. I just love walking around, greeting, getting to know people. And I, I asked him, I said, what's, what's your story? And he, and he had a very strong French accent. And he said, well, I'm a French physicist, and I'm retired, and my wife and I just moved to Vero Beach. We moved here. And I said, that's wonderful. I said, so why are you here today? He said, well, earlier this week, my wife passed away. I didn't know where to go. Didn't know what to do. And he said, thank you for providing this. There's your reason for reaching out into our community. Amen? I, I see all kinds of opportunities for us at a new facility. But, but see, it, it's never going to be that God says, here's what I'm doing. Join me in it. And now because God's doing it, it's easy. Show me a story in the Bible where God led a people to anything that was easy. As soon as Nehemiah hits the road to go off, and he, he's not even on the road yet. The king just told him, you can have the wood from my forest to build the walls, and you can, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to send my army with some, some, some horses, and that will give you safe passage through the different provinces. He's, he's just hearing this, but, but word travels fast. And as soon as word got back to Sambalit and Tobiah, who were governors in the region of pagan nations, actually they lived in Samaria, but they were the part that came from the Assyrian takeover of the northern kingdom. These folks settled in, in Samaria. They weren't Jews. And here they are, they're ticked off mad that now they're going to start rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem, or not the temple, but the walls of Jerusalem. I, 
He's doing God's work. He hasn't even headed out yet to go and do the work, and already negative news comes. And this is the way the Lord works with us. This is a difficult season. And, and there are things that come up, but it's not because the Lord's not with us. It's because he is with us. And anything that we do with the Lord requires what? Faith. Faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And, and that's what we as a body are experiencing, some of you in your own home. Look at the economy right now. That's affecting homes. And this is when God wants us to, to purchase a property? Yeah, it is. And God will help us as we walk by. It's not supposed to be easy. Why? Why would God make it difficult? Why would God allow trial to come? Why would God even order up circumstances that are not unfavorable? I'll tell you why. Because he's constantly stretching our faith. He's testing us to see if we'll be faithful to him. This is what God does. This is who he is. And, and this is what we see here. Well, Nehemiah's prayer was a powerful prayer. And he said to the Lord, Lord, you, you, just give me favor in your time. Now, this is interesting to me, and I want you to see this. So, um, it says that he goes before the king, and the king sees his sadness. The king says, what's going on? How can I help? And he prays, and then he says, king, here's what I need. I'm sad because my homeland is struggling. Can you help me? And the king absolutely says, definitely. Now, so here's what it looks like. In chapter 1, he offers this great prayer, and then he goes before the king, and the king says, do it. Man, God's awesome. That's not the truth. The truth is he offers the prayer in the month of Kislev, which is December. Remember, there's four parts to this worship-based prayer. There's reverence, there's response, there's request, and then there's readiness. Now that you've prayed, be ready for when God moves. Guess how long the readiness lasted? Four months. This says that he went before the king in the month of Nisan. That would be March, April in our calendar. He started praying in December, and four months later, finally, God says, now let's go. We prayed from day one that God would give us a property one day. Remember that? And we just said, look, if you want to give above and beyond your regular offering you know, to the Lord, uh, we'll put it in a special fund and we'll let it build up. And that's what we did. We had no clue when God was going to open the door for us. We looked high and low. We searched everywhere at different properties. Uh, our, our future facility team worked very diligently to try to find property for us. We could just, each time, God was like, nope, nope. But he didn't say, stop looking. That was our part, was to walk by faith, to trust that God might have something out there. And then finally, God moves. And someone calls us and said, Greg, um, we're thinking of selling. And I wanted you to know that. I don't know what your future plan is, but want you to know that. 
and they didn't list the property on the market. And two and a half, three years later, it all comes together in God's timing. It's just amazing to me. Listen, listen, friends. This is how God wants you to function in your home. This is how God wants us to function as a church family. Worship, response, requests that are lining up with him, and then readiness for what God is going to do. And by the way, when all that is done, and God begins to show up, and he reveals what he's doing, and he wants you to join him in it, it's still going to be trial after trial. Because God will never give you something that doesn't require faith. You couldn't even get saved without faith. And so this is what we see. So Nehemiah is faithful. Nehemiah uh, does exactly what the Lord asks him to do, and that is pray. And then in the appropriate time, four months later, the king happens to notice that Nehemiah is sad. Now, you don't go before a king with sadness because a king supposedly invokes joy and happiness and fulfillment because he is the provider of those things for you. And when you're in his presence, you need to show him how much you're appreciative of all that he is and all that he does, and that's what a king wants. You don't go before the king with sadness. If you do, you'll leave without a head. And yet Nehemiah is being real. It's not manipulation. He's letting God choose when and how he will receive help to go back to Jerusalem. And God moves upon the king. By the way, it says that his, wife, his queen was sitting with him when he spoke to Nehemiah about these things. Um, do you know who the king's mother-in-law was? Esther. Don't tell me that God doesn't function in providence. That God isn't sovereign in control of everything. I do not believe in circumstance of chance. I don't. Everything God knows about and God brings things about in a certain way. He allowed Nehemiah to become the cupbearer to the king, which is a trustworthy relationship with the king. And the king was willing to listen to Nehemiah as he shared his burden. And then his mother-in-law had taught him about Jerusalem, her homeland, and about the captivity and everything. So he was God had already gone before him. That's what I'm saying. We're not supposed to pray, Lord, here's what I want to do. This is what I want to do for you. Bless what I'm doing. Um, David prayed that. Lord, I want to build a house for you. I've got this beautiful palace, and you, you don't have anything. You, you're living in a tabernacle, a tent. I want to build you a beautiful palace. And God said, mm, no, it's not how it works. I'll let you join me in what I'm going to do. Well, what are you doing? I'm going to let your son build it. Why don't you do the fundraising for it? And David said, let's get after it. Let's go. He joined God, and that temple was built. And now we have a city without walls that people could come in and trample down 
The enemy could come in and trample the people. And so what does God do? He goes before Nehemiah to the king and says, help him. Provide the wood, provide everything he needs to rebuild these walls. And Nehemiah does. Next week, we're going to see just how much, how many obstacles come up as Nehemiah is trying to obey God's will. As Nehemiah is joining God, nothing but trial and trial come up in his life. It's amazing. So this idea, I mean, in your home, you want to pray, God, how can we join you in your work? How can we join you? And the Lord says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Here's the person I want you to minister to. Here's how you're going to handle that problem in your home. I want you to focus on me and stop focusing on them. You see your spouse as the issue. And I'm telling you, that's not my work for you. My work for you is to look at your own backyard and let me minister in your yard. Leave your spouse to me. I don't need your help. Oh, Lord, I, I'm just lifting this prayer to you because I'm so concerned for my wife. If you only knew, Lord, if you only knew, Lord, I'm just going to help you here because I'm not sure you understand. It, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if she wasn't demon-possessed, Lord. Some of the things that she does, and we just go off and as if God doesn't know the real truth. And seldom do we tell the whole truth. We might have bits and pieces of truth, but we're not going to get that honest with God. And that's why we pray our prayers instead of his prayers. Because if we prayed his prayer, we'd have to surrender our manipulation. We'd have to surrender our control. But that's where God lives. That's the train God's on. And he wants us to listen to him and join him in his work in our home. He has a way. He has a better way than you could ever come up with. It's not like you're, you're, you're having to inform God of things that he just doesn't understand. It's not like you have greater wisdom than God. You, you do know that. It's not like you pray, Lord, you know, let me just, let me help you here. This is the situation, Lord, and, then, and somehow you're cornering God into the corner here so we can't get away, and then I can get him to do what I, what I need him to do. It's not like God's listening to what you're saying and going, really? Wow. Wow. I didn't realize. God's all over it. You're the one that doesn't get it. I don't get it. Joining God means, Father, you are awesome. I am nothing like you. And I come before you and I confess my sin before you. And Father, I'm asking you to change me. Let me become the person that you can use. My end result, my end game is, Father, I want to join you in your work a work that you want to do in me, a work that you want to do in my home, in my family, in my spouse, in my marriage, a work that you want to do in my church, in my community. Father, I want to join you. That's what I'm about here. This is what he prayed. This is what he was ready to do, and God gave him the opportunity 
that readiness led, led to God giving Nehemiah opportunity to join him. And in joining God, the enemy immediately showed his ugly head and tried to block what God had given Nehemiah to do. This is the way it is. In your life, in my life, this is the way it is. And we need to always rise to God's vision, not to ours. What is God up to? Lord, I want to be part of what you're up to. Amen? At Vero Bible Fellowship, Lord, I want to be part of what you're up to. I'm excited for our future. I'm excited for what's going to happen. I can't wait to unpack some of the things with you, or yeah, with you about the future of our church. This is a tremendous opportunity for us. And we together need to invest in, in this wonderful opportunity of God. It's going to be a great opportunity. But this is why we're in Nehemiah, to learn that we think God's about rebuilding walls when God really is about rebuilding our faith, a faith that can endure hardship, a faith that can endure obstacles, a faith that will remain after others fall away. That's what God's up to. Amen? Amen. I want to pray with you this morning, and I want us, in our prayer time, I, 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 something we didn't do last week, and forgive me for this, because every week it's important that we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to say to those of you that are here that maybe do not know the Lord personally, you're not saved, you would say, I've always been around the church. Uh, maybe people think that I'm saved because I've been around it, but that's not true. I'm not following God. I'm not, I've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. I've never confessed my sin and repented of my sin and turned to God and surrendered my life to him. Listen, the reason why a person gets saved is very simple. Because they, God reveals to them that apart from his salvation that he provides, every human being will die and go to hell because we're all sinners. God is not a sinner, never has been, never will be. And God will not allow sinners to come into heaven. You say, man, I'm in trouble because every day I fall short. Yeah, but are you saved truly? True salvation is that you recognize what Jesus Christ has done for you that you could never do. What is that? I could never be good enough to merit God's redemption. The reason God sent Jesus to die for me is because I am a lost sinner with no hope of eternal salvation. God did, listen, it's not on my merit that God saved me. It's on the merit of his son who is perfect that God has reached me a sinner to save me. All that I have to sing is that I was a wretch <laughs> and God made me righteous. Today, if you're a Christian, you still fall short daily. But that's not how God sees you. You've been justified by faith. Just as if you never sinned. That's how God sees you now, through Jesus who died for you. Can you say that? 
Do you have that confidence that I am truly justified by faith in Christ? He has placed his righteousness over me. I'm clothed in his righteousness. No longer does God see me as a sinner that's helpless and lost for eternity. God sees me as a saint. A saint. If you don't think that's a weird thing, man, just look up and read Corinthians about the Corinthian church. These people were all over sin. They, they were just in and out of sin constantly. And yet Paul starts the book, the letter to them, and he says, to the saints in Corinth, not because they're perfect, but because Jesus has covered their imperfection. Amen? Do you have that? If you don't have it, receive it. Just cry out to God in your heart. Father, I'm a sinner. I ask forgiveness for my sinfulness. By faith, I place my trust in Jesus Christ. I, I surrender my life to you, Lord. Save me. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I want you to leave today transformed by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you, you didn't choose to be saved. God did. Unless the Spirit draws a man, he can never come to the Father, the Scripture says. God is the one who's even drawing you right now because he, he has chosen you to be saved. So be saved. Surrender. Walk by faith. Trust in the work of Jesus for your sinfulness. Make it personal. Father, this morning we just give you thanks that, Lord, you are doing a work. And there is a great work that's, that we're about to undergo. And it's exciting. And, Lord, we also know that you're going to test us all the way through to see if our faith is growing. You're always stretching our faith. And I pray, Lord, that you would stretch us in our personal lives, in our homes, that, God, we would stop trying to tell you what we need you to bless, and we would just start saying, Lord, tell me what you're doing so I can be part of your blessing. Father, show us that. Make it real to us. Lord, let this worship-based prayer life begin where it becomes practical and real and powerful in our hearts. And where we walk by you instead of you walking by us. Oh, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you've made us righteous. Thank you that we've been justified by faith. Thank you that we now walk in this thing called sanctification where every day you are, by the Holy Spirit, conforming us to the image of your Son. It's a constant work. It's an ongoing work. You'll be working on us until the day you call us home. So, Father, thank you that you love us enough not to quit on us, but to keep working in us. And we give you all the praise. And God's people said, amen. 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 Now, one more thing I meant to do, and I didn't do it, and I'm going to do it now. I want one more prayer to be prayed to close this service. And I'm going to be calling on different folks to pray the closing prayer because 
I would like to start making my way to the back of the room so I can shake hands with people that normally I don't get a chance to greet. And I'd like to just be able to get back there and do that. So Ken Chatham, sir, would you close us in a word of prayer?